Well, what an honor to be with you here today. This church has been uh, one of the churches that has been routinely sent out by God. And so it's an honor for me to be able to bring a word this morning from the scriptures about being a sent people. We're going to be looking at a text today from Acts 13. It's verses 1 to 5. It's really short, but it is jam-packed with truth from God. And the truth is, if Acts was a Netflix special, we would be kind of jumping in midstream. So I'm going to catch you up with a couple of episode recaps. On the first slide, we can see that Acts 1 is all about the fact that Jesus is the risen king. His disciples literally see him rising into the sky. He is the risen king who says that he will return, and then he promises to send his spirit in order that all the disciples would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Acts chapter 2 opens, and that's exactly what happens. The Spirit comes, and the Spirit sends the people in Jerusalem, especially Peter, to be the witnesses to Jesus in that city. Now, that stirs up anger among the Jewish leaders. And there was this guy named Saul who started persecuting them in particular. But the Holy Spirit took something that was intended for evil and for harm and made it good. The Holy Spirit decided, wait, Jesus is still the risen king, and so I will use even this persecution to ensure that the thing that Jesus said would happen. The people of God became scattered. They started to be sent to Judea and Samaria. And the first multi-ethnic, multinational Jesus movement was born out of this. That's what the Spirit was doing. Acts 8 to 12 is then the story of this multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And the flagship church is the church in Antioch. It's in the north. You had to travel a while. It was nowhere near Jerusalem, but it was flourishing. This city was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and this is the first place where people were given the politically charged term Christian. At this point in time, if you were identified as a Christian, it meant that you were likely to face some sort of persecution, suffering, and possibly death as they watched, this church watched as friends, brothers and sisters, died because they said Jesus is the risen king and no other. And so when we come to Acts 13, we read the story of the Spirit of God fulfilling the promise of God through Jesus. This text is often spoken to be the locus of the movement out into Paul's first missionary journey. He and his friends will go to places that everybody considered to be the ends of the earth in that day. But these days, the word missionary can be quite polarizing. Have you been in those kinds of conversations? For some, missionaries are the sent ones of God. They are sent so that people of every language and tribe and tongue can hear the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness and restoration. For others, the word missionary evokes an image of the mechanism of colonialism. 
solely focused on saving souls without care for bodies, culture, or friendship with the people that they are sent to. And within Christian history, if you are a Jesus follower, within our history, this has been true of mission. Our history has been a tapestry of compassionate justice marked by the salvation of the living God. But it has also been marked by imperialism, slavery, and the eradication of culture and human dignity. And so it is worth it to pay attention once again to our origin story. How does God send the church into his mission? What can we learn from our brothers and sisters in this multi-ethnic, multicultural church about how to be sent together? And so today I want us to hear it again. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was there with them as their helper. I'd like us to notice a couple of patterns that I think Luke is intentionally pointing out in this text. The first is that this is a reconciled community learning together and sharing leadership. Luke goes out of his way to point out who is there at the time. There were more prophets. There were more teachers in this church, but Luke's, Luke points out a couple of them. First, Barnabas. He was a Hellenistic Jew born in Cyprus. This meant that he was a bicultural, multilingual leader within the church. Simeon called Niger. This meant, Niger literally meant dark skin. He was a convert from Africa, and he was leading in that first church at that time. Luke wants us to know that. Lucius of Cyrene, he is also a Gentile convert from North Africa. He is teaching. He is a prophet. We have Menaean, who is a Roman convert and the brother of Herod. Herod is wealthy, he is in the ruling party, and he has just been struck down by God because he would not worship God. Instead, he worshipped Rome. He worshipped power. And Menaean was his brother. It literally meant that they had the same wet nurse. They were literally breastfed by the same person. They came up together, but this guy, instead of becoming the oppressor of the church, he decides to be a prophet within the church. God has radically moved in his life. Finally, you have Paul, who is a Hebraic Jew and a previous persecutor of the church. Can you imagine this team? Can you imagine it? ethnically, linguistically, culturally, socioeconomically different from one another. This church is practicing the radical belief that anyone can belong to Jesus, and therefore anyone can become a prophet and a teacher among us. 
the person who killed my dear friend is now teaching me about God's love. That's how radical this is. Enemies have become friends. Persecutors have become prophets and the source of the truth. And I want to point out that it's not just diversity in those who are attending. These rules are of teaching and preaching. They are about systemic authority within that church. There have already been many conversations and meetings and arguments within Jerusalem about this very thing. Can Gentiles be among us? Antioch says, yes, they can, and we will lead together. This church is stepping into the difficult work of not just being together, but submitting to each other to receive the gifts of each other together. Friends, it's easy to sit in a pew with one another, to share food, to have a conversation. In Toronto, we're so blessed by an easy capacity to do that with those who are different from us. The challenge is, Will we submit to their leadership? Will we allow their prophetic voices to adjust and direct whole systems, to cast new vision, to lead us in the direction that God wants to go? I grew up in Bracebridge, which is a very small and at that time dominantly white town. And we went to a closed brethren church, so it was, you meant you had to have a letter to say that you could take communion. And it was brethren, which meant only men would ever speak or teach. And for the first 12 years of my life, I believed that going to church and pleasing God meant first, wearing a skirt, and second, wearing a head covering. When I was 12, my parents decided that they wanted to start worshiping with people in our town in Bracebridge, so we went to a Baptist church. And I suddenly learned that I did not have to wear a skirt. And I did not have to wear a hat to please God. It's kind of a silly example, but very early on I came to learn, oh, there's not just one story about God and how to please him. There are other stories, other ways. I need other communities. When I sit with my Egyptian friend Malad, He's a missionary from Egypt to us in Canada. It's wonderful. When I sit with him, I learn that faith is not just deeply personal, it is communal. I need him to remind me it's not just about how Jesus saves me, but how Jesus saves us all. He teaches me that ministry is all about interruptions leaning into them instead of avoiding them. It is not about having the most efficient work and ministry schedule. For him, interruption is ministry, and I need his voice and his story to remind me. When I listen to Nydia Garcia-Schmidt, she is a Latina who lives in Mexico and works with the Wycliffe Global Alliance, she teaches me about fundraising, and I'm reminded that it's not just about my generosity, But generosity in giving is a part of how I practice radical dependence on the living God. I need to remember that. When I plan events with Melissa Lung, who is in a different decade than I am, I'm a little bit older than I look, 
I am reminded that God's call into mission is a call to know God's identity and my own identity deeply. Brothers and sisters, we need different voices. We need different stories because it expands our view of who God is and what his mission is. And I want to be clear that I'm not just advocating tokenism. It's not just because you're different that you can lead or you have a a gift of teaching or prophecy. But rather, we need to ensure that there are ways to identify gifts within all people. It's so easy to put on our lens and say, this is what a prophecy gift looks like. This is what a teaching gift looks like, because that's what I grew up seeing. But those gifts look different among different people in our brothers and sisters. This passage in Acts highlights the way that church structures and authority should not be formed by monoethnic, monocultural, or monolinguistic definitions. As we welcome all people to follow Jesus and belong to the church, our structures and positions of authority must be shared. It's a challenge. It gets really, really messy. It's so easy for me to say it and tell you stories, but the truth is, it's a struggle. Because I don't always see it clearly. But it's what God is doing. It's what the Spirit is leading. And it is absolutely essential in order to be ascending church. We must be submitting to the authority of one another. And so I want to ask you some questions. They're going to come up on the screen. Knox Church, how are you discovering the teachers and prophets among you in a way that is not bound by the prejudice, by prejudice or limited to those who are most like you? How are your systems designed to recognize God's activity in the voice and life? of another. And then secondly, what's your experience of being led by someone who is different from you? What's that been like lately? It might be frustrating. It might be hard. It might be joyful. We need to reflect on this experience together so that we can learn and receive one another. Secondly, Luke notes that this community is not only a community with shared leadership. They are a worshiping community. They are giving focused attention to the character of God. Now, I don't know what they were doing because Hillsong and Chris Tomlin weren't around at that time, so they were singing some kind of songs. But actually, the truth is it would have been so much more than simply singing. There would have been scripture, storytelling, prayer, fasting, Perhaps they were telling the story of how God sent his voice into the darkness of creation, bringing light. Perhaps they were saying, let's remember the story of Abraham, how he was sent by God with Sarah, blessed to be a blessing. Maybe they were telling one another, remember in the scriptures where it says that Israel is meant to be a light to all the nations. Remember that? 
We are to be a light for all the nations. Let's remember that about God. Perhaps some of them had actually seen Jesus, heard his voice. Perhaps some of them with tears in their eyes say, I remember Jesus saying, I was sent by the Father. And I love this world. Maybe some of them were healed. Maybe some of them have stories about how their legs now work because of Jesus. How they're freed from sin and guilt because of Jesus. How Peter was sent to Cornelius and now we eat all kinds of crazy stuff because of Jesus and his spirit. They were constantly recalling and remembering the character of God, his activity, and his promises. Right, he said he would return. Yes, he told us we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. All movement into God's mission must start with worship. Worship aligns our thoughts with God's thoughts. Worship helps us adopt God's heart for the whole world. Worship roots us in the reality of our own forgiveness. That we have received grace because God is extending grace to everyone at all times. As we remember God's activity through history, God's promises for the future, and God's work in our own lives today, we cultivate hope and humility, and we need these. It protects us from despair. Hope and humility protect us by being overwhelmed when we worship the need. Hope and humility protect us when we can, be tended to wor- we can tend to worship our own need and sink either into pride into dominating others, or we can sink into despair. First, let me say that needs are real. I have a slide of some of the needs that are out there. First, there are some new stats on scripture access, and they're getting worse than they were. (laughs) Great. There are 2,100 languages in the world where these people groups do not have one verse of scripture in the language of their culture, the language of their mother and their father, of their deepest thoughts, they do not have access to the scriptures. 1.5 billion people do not have the whole scriptures in their heart language. How are disciples made? How can the church rise when they do not have the story of God in a language that they speak, a language that they pray in and worship in? Here's another source of need. Sex trafficking has been steadily on the rise in Canada. In 2016, there were 340 incidents reported, and the number is rising, friends. And over 66% of those reports since 2009 have been in Ontario. We are a church in a time when in Canada, sex trafficking is increasing among our neighborhoods and among our communities. This is a real need. Globally, there's 25.4 million refugees and over half of them are under the age of 18. 57% of them are coming from the Sudan and Afghanistan and Syria. 
Finally, 24.3% of the world's population, this is 100 different people groups, they have less than 1.5% of their community who are Jesus followers. 24.3% of the world do not have a Jesus-following community to join. This was a cursory search. You can spend 10 minutes and in 10 minutes become crushed by the weight of the need. And the need is real. But the danger is that we can worship the need. When we worship the need, we say the need defines all of reality. The need defines who they are and who I am. And the need often narrowly defines people as either heroes, oppressors, or victims. And the pressure of these categories drives us to feel overwhelmed or exhausted by responsibility, bitter or afraid of others, numb or estranged. Often as we come close to the need, despair can set in unless we have places to remember the living God. The world does not need more Christians burning out on rescuing the world. It does not need more Christians engaging in paternalistic and ethnocentric engagement. It does not need more mission where those with power, spiritual insight, and resources give to those who have none. When our mission is not rooted in the worship of God, that is what we move towards. And the need will only ever frame our interactions based on transactional models. The exchange of money the exchange of ideas, the exchange of one culture for another. Worship reminds us that we all bear the image of God, that we are joining God's work and God's activity, that we need regular Sabbath and that together we are working out our salvation. We share need. It is not just their need. There can also be a danger of ignoring the need by paying attention to our own or worshiping our own needs. We can believe that we need to have that burger. There's oftentimes where I really, I'm on blog TO and I'm like, yes, I need that new burger. I need that new taco. I need that new dumpling. I need, I need that. We need to watch that next episode of Netflix. We need that extra hour of overtime at work so we can get the raise. We need to create that craft for our neighborhoods so that we become the super parent. We can think that we need these things. And it's interesting that Luke points out that they were fasting while they were worshiping. Fasting is not usually from the clearly bad things. We kind of know what things to really stay away from. Fasting reminds us of the difference between what we want and what we actually need. It helps us create space in our lives to reflect on God and the way that God is naming what we need and what the world needs and what God is offering to us as a generous and loving Father. God sends the church as they are rooted in worship, in the character and person of God, 
and as they fast in order to consider what is it, Jesus, that you are saying to us about need, my need, the need of others? How would you lead us? Here's a couple questions to consider. Should be on the on the slide. What is getting most of your attention these days? It's another way of asking, what are you worshiping? Now, lots of us aren't singing about work, singing about golf, singing about Pinterest. And so again, I want to remind us, worship is not just about singing. It's what are we focusing our attention on? And there are some of us who actually will spend a lot of our time focusing on the need and friends. It is important to know the truth about the needs. But if that is the thing we worship, if the need is the thing we give our only attention to, we will be overcome by it. And we can only ever enter into transactional relationships. It is God and our attention to him that allows us to move out in love and hope and friendship, being mutually transformed. What might you need to fast from in this next season in order to align yourself again with God's heart and perspective? So they were... a a racially reconciled, leadership-sharing community. They were a worshiping community. And then Luke points out they are a listening community. They are listening together for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is because the mobilization of the church is a supernatural activity of a sovereign God. It does not originate in our strategic plans or our budget or our broken hearts. That's not where it starts. It must be birthed by the activity of the Spirit of God among us. This is why we have teachers and prophets. They don't just help us learn more about God. These are the people that help us listen to God and hear from God. Got to point out and know who are your prophets and your teachers so that you can listen. My first time intentionally listening to the Spirit of God, since I grew up in a home that we regularly prayed, we sang songs after dinner together, we read the Bible a ton, but it wasn't until Urbana 96, I was uh, in uh, my first year at Brock University, Um, we were at Urbana together, they had just led a time of worship, they were telling stories from around the globe, and then as 18,000 people, they said, let's just take a moment to listen to God, and I was kind of freaked out, like what? Wait, no, um, someone has to just tell me. Like, <laughs> that's how it goes, right? The, the person on the stage will just tell me. But they were creating a context for the people of God who had been focusing their attention on God to listen to the Spirit of God and wait for His voice. And I remember sharing about this afterwards saying, I think I heard the Spirit. I think He was encouraging me to sign up for for leadership and to actually lead the outreach team on my campus. I was kind of passing it off because I felt like, I'm I'm just in first year and I kind of want to like have fun and maybe I'll do that in, you know, like third or fourth year or something. But the Spirit spoke to me. It was very powerful.
The Spirit has actually used Urbana quite frequently since, let me get the date here, 1946, right here in Toronto. That's when that conference started. And since then, 300,000 people have been listening to the voice of the Spirit of God, giving their attention to the Spirit. And so Knox Church, I want to ask you, what do you expect from the Spirit? Do you create room in your meetings, in your times of planning, in your worship services to inquire of the Spirit and ask Spirit, how would you lead us? I want to speak specifically uh, to young adults here. Would you create intentional space to listen to the leading of the Spirit in community? And there are two reasons. First, because you need it. (laughs) You need the leading of the Spirit. You need the guidance and the direction, and you need to learn how to hear from the Spirit because you are the prophets among this church. You're not the only ones, but God is raising you up, and as you can listen and hear the voice of the Spirit, you can bring the word that God wants to bring. How are you listening to the Spirit? Finally, this is a releasing community. After they hear the Spirit say, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, they fast and pray again. (laughs) They discern and they bless and they send out. They get more strategic clarity and they release. I want to point out that Luke goes to great lengths to say that it's the Spirit that sent them. It was the Spirit giving the leadership. And the Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus and beyond because disciples of Jesus are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The particular sending of specific people was rooted in a communal identity as witnesses with a global mandate. We will love these people here because God loves everyone everywhere. The strategic needs to always be rooted in God's global mandate. And this text does not uphold a separation between missionaries and pastors and then all the other regular people who do the regular stuff. That's not how it goes. Wherever you are, you are meant to be a witness. At the bank where you work, at the daycare where you know other parents, at the school where you are, there is a communally held identity as witnesses. And I think often we're in danger of pitting the global against the local. There are churches that will say, oh, well, we really, we focus on the local. Or others will say, like, no, 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 it's, it's all about the global. Jesus said the ends of the earth. What we read about here is a church that is actively participating in being a witness where they are in that community. But they are also discerning who is to be sent out because it's the ends of the earth. 
This fasting and prayer also allows the community not to cling to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas had been teaching them for a year now. They're pretty great teachers. The scriptures tell us that they're pretty good at that. It'd be so easy to say, no, 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 these are our brightest. These are our best. We can't lose them. We, we need them here. That would be a form of worshiping their own need. We need them here. But fasting and prayer allows them to be a community that blesses and releases. Grandparents, parents, are you willing to bless and release the next generation? Are you willing to send them to places where there's political instability, where there is danger? Are you willing to see them take jobs where they will have less prestige and earn less money than what their degree says they should earn? Are you willing to bless and send them where it might come at cost to you and your programs here and now? This fasting and praying that this church is involved in, it allows them to remember that God is generous. We do not need to cling to and hold on to what we need here. We are free to bless and send because we trust the living God. This church is on the brink of being sent out to the ends of the earth, and they are rooted in a dynamic current reality. There is multi-ethnic, multicultural leadership. There is worship of God. There is listening to the Spirit, and there is strategically obeying the Spirit. The whole group is sending specific people, specific places, because the whole community is commanded to be a witness. And I want to give us some space to listen. So we bring up the next and the last slide. I want to ask you, Knox Church, what would be different here if everyone viewed themselves as a witness locally and part of the reconciled, worshiping, listening, and releasing community? It's not just for the missionaries. It's for everyone. Where is God calling you to release people to the work he has given them, even though it might be costly or dangerous? And what are you hearing from the Spirit? about who the Spirit is sending out. In closing, I want to pray for you. And before I do, I'm going to give probably about a minute. For some, that might feel uncomfortable. For others, it'll feel like you need a half an hour. But I'm going to ask the Spirit to move today to stir in our hearts because the mobilization of the church starts with the activity of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we remember this morning that God is the sending God. God send, sends God's self and God has sent us. 
It's your story, God. It belongs to you, not us. Holy Spirit, I believe that in the past months and weeks, you have been speaking to your people and that even this morning, you would call to their minds things that you've been saying to them. Things that you've been saying to them about being a reconciled community that shares leadership. Things that you've been saying to them about their attention Where has their attention been given? God, even today, would you draw their attention to you? Not in order to ignore the need, but to be sent by you out into the world. I believe that there are men and women here whom, Spirit, you are saying, you are a prophet. You are a teacher. Step in. Offer your voice. And Spirit, there are those who you are setting apart. And some of you have them in mind, and you are not them. You are just being led by the Spirit to say, I wonder if God is setting them apart. And some of you know that God is calling you, is stirring in you to move out into his mission. Spirit, I pray that today, even this afternoon and in the coming weeks, you would orchestrate conversations that reveal how you have been at work, where leadership and discernment could be shared, where men and women of different ethnic, socioeconomic, and cultural backgrounds would be sent out together. Would you continue, as you have always been doing, to teach your church how to hear your voice and be gathered in order to be sent by your Holy Spirit? pray these things in your name. Amen.